welcome back to Half Past Capitalism. Uh, we went on a little bit of a break uh, for a few months, but uh, but we are back. Um, and this show is where we talk about alternatives to capitalism as if they were possible. Uh, the show is part of the Harbinger Media Network. And our guest today is Gopal Dayaneni, uh, a co-founder of Movement Generation, Justice and Ecology Project. Uh, he teaches ecological systems thinking at Antioch University uh, and in race and resistance studies at San Francisco State University. He's involved in too many organizations and initiatives to list here, but some of them are the Ruckus Society, ETC Group, uh, Climate Justice Alliance, Center for Economic Democracy, Seed Commons, and quite a few others. Um, he was also a colleague of mine when I worked at ETC Group, uh, which I, I don't anymore so as of a few years ago, um, but we got a chance to work together quite a bit. Uh, welcome, Gopal. Hi, hey, Drew. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you. It's just a real gift to, to reconnect. It's been a little bit of a, a little bit of a break since we talked. Yeah, nice to, nice to see you again. Yeah. Um, so just to jump right in, the um, your work uh, spans like a, just a huge number of sort of movement related activities, direct action, climate justice campaigning, narrative strategy, ecological systems. Um, but I wanted to focus this conversation at least to start on your work around capital uh, and narratives. Um, and I guess by capital, I mean financing. So, so you've worked with Seed Commons and, and People's Solar Energy Fund um, on something that you call non-extractive finance. Uh, and I'm just wondering, I think, I think that's, that concept is a great place to start. Like what is non-extractive yeah. finance? Yeah, um, this is, um, so I'll just start with like a simple definition of non-extractive finance and, um, or a simple explanation. And then I'll maybe kind of, you know, even though it seems like I'm engaged in a lot of different things, they're all actually deeply interconnected. And that's where I think the Commons of Capital piece is like so important. So, um, you know, finance, um, the current structures of finance are, are that um, people are, um, are tools of capital. And, um, and uh, my friend Ed Whitfield, who's also part of the Seed Commons, points out that the, 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 the nature of finance now, that, that which, uh, the nature of the economy, the dominant economy anyway, is that um, you know, that which should be sacred has become instrumental and that which should be instrumental has become sacred. So that which should be sacred, our relationships to each other and the, and the rest of the living world of which we are a part, should be sacred. And capital should simply be an instrument that um, uh, allows us to, to fulfill those relationships in a good way. Um, and instead it's inverted and sacred is and capital has become sacred and our relationships have become instrumentalized. Um, and non-extractive finance is, the, is basically the idea of reorganizing our very relationship to capital such that we are essentially having capital be a tool um, that people and communities control. Um, and the, the way I like to talk about it is creating a commons of capital. Um, so non-extractive finance is um, the mechanisms that we use at the seed commons is basically local, autonomous, revolving loan funds based on a few key principles. The first and most important being debt subordination. Um, and, uh, and, that the, and that we put, we lend we um, share capital um, to support worker and community-owned cooperatives, and all of the repayments 
the the return that the co-ops um, give back goes into building those commons of capital so it can go right back out into the communities. So the idea is that the wealth generated in a community stays in a community and is controlled by the community for the creation of, um, of productive enterprises that, that we as people are uh, in control of. And the principle of debt subordination is the idea that, um, that you know, if you go to a bank and you get a loan, then the first thing you have to do every month is pay your debt. Debt subordination is the idea that the repayment of the debt happens only based on the productivity of the enterprise. So you basically profit share um, uh, from these worker and community-owned cooperatives. And by profit, I'm talking not about the way we think about profit in terms of the extraction of wealth from other people's labor or the labor of the living world, but the surplus that you create from your own productive activity as worker owners and community ownership. Um, and that surplus is shared back into the, um, into the community in the same way that you would share it. Like in a worker-owned cooperative, you would have disbursements. One of those, dis um, those um, disbursements is back into this commons of capital. And we call it the seed commons because um, it's basically a seed library. You just replace the word seed with, with financial capital. Um, and so in a seed library, folks are familiar with seed libraries. Um, they're not like book libraries. You don't go borrow a book, read the book, and return the book. A seed library, you go, you borrow seeds, and you go and plant the seeds, and you return the seeds you grew from what you planted. And you always return more seeds than you borrowed in order to grow the seed library. When they lend you the seeds, they don't just say, oh, here's, here's a good seed. Go take it home and do your best. In order to ensure that the seed library is sustained, when they lend you the seeds, they lend with it, they share with it the knowledge from which the seeds came, how the seeds grew, what we learned about growing from these seeds. And when you return the, the, the seeds you, the, from what you grew, you are obligated to also share the knowledge of how you grew them. Because the diversity of, of tomatoes don't just come from the diversity of seed, they also come from the diversity of the soil, how much sun it got, whether you sang to the plants or not, like there's all kinds of things that go into um, the diversity of seed, right? So um, in that same way, you want to return that knowledge so it helps grow the, the knowledge that's also part of this commons of seed or commons of capital. And of course, if you're a member of a, of a seed library, you have an obligation to help govern and you have responsibilities to the library that you don't just get to take, take, take. You got to give in all, lots of different ways and just replace the word seed with um, capital. And, um, and you've got basically the model of a seed commons. There's no credit exclusion, so you don't check people's credit because we are radically inclusive, meaning we seek to support those who are most excluded. We, um, there's no collateral, so you can't like somebody, the, the group of folks can't, you can't say we're gonna take your house or your car or whatever. The only thing that collateralizes the loans is the, um, the assets that are purchased with the loan if the project fails. So if a co-op goes under, we are only entitled to recover what we could possibly get from what the loan provided, nothing else. And that's because you never leave a community worse off than if they hadn't taken the loan in the first place, right? And, you pay, and you, your repayments are through profit sharing. So this is one model of non-extractive finance, but basically, you know, um, the dominant form, uh, the, you know, we always talk about land as the, you know, the, the, the quote unquote mother of all enclosures or the, you know, the, the 
the the the enclosure, but now capital, the enclosure of capital, like capital is the keys to all other enclosure, and the enclosure of capital has now become the enabling enclosure of all other enclosures, intellectual enclosures, cultural enclosures, enclosures of identity, borderism. They're all dependent on the control of the flow of capital, who has access and under what conditions. Um, and so this, for us, this is deeply connected to climate justice. It's deeply connected to rights of Mother Earth. It's deeply connected to worker and community-owned cooperation, right? This, these are, it's all of it, and, and here's why. Like, from my perspective, like, um, like the, the, the foundation of addressing climate justice is not, like people think of climate justice as like this win-win. You can win on climate and you can win on social justice issues. And it's not, of course, it's the only way to win. It is social inequity and the exploitation of the labor of the living world that created the crisis in the first place. And so then the question is, how do you create, live into economies that are not based on endless frontiers of extractivism and exploitation? And you do that through commoning. Commoning is based on consent and enclosures are based on entitlement. And so we're in the same way that we need commons of land and we work on that and we need food sovereignty as a, as a, as a, as the, a, a commoning of food systems, we also need a commoning of capital because it's the enclosure of capital that facilitates all other enclosures. And so that's the intervention we're trying to make. People's Solar Energy Fund is the same idea. It's just specifically trying to create non-extractive finance mechanisms for community-owned and controlled clean energy projects. So basically uh, community solar cooperatives. That's great. I mean, yeah, listening to you to you speak, I'm just like, of course, that's that's the way it yeah. should be. Like, it's a, you know, it's embedded in the web of relationships, and it and it's feeding the web of relationships. Whereas, like, capital is like, or you know, the way capitalism works, or a bank, you know, works is like to immediately alienate you from every all the sort of web of relationships that you're in, and be like, bottom line, are you going to give us a return or not? Exactly. Um, but I guess on the flip side. Uh, you know, what, what sort of occurs to me listening to this is like, is I guess the, the, the typical thing, which is like capital, like it's precisely that one dimensionality that gives capital its dynamism that, that makes mm -hmm. it expand just so fast. And because it's just always focused on that one criterion, like how can we increase the power and uh, returns of capital? <laughs> like yeah. that's it, yeah. nothing else. Yeah. And so, exactly. and so this sounds like something that is, you know, ethically, holistically, on a human level, like infinitely better, but is going to grow much, much more slowly. And so, you know, I guess yeah. in in a context where we're on a on a timeline, a pretty mm -hmm. pretty constrained, yeah. objectively objectively yeah constrained timeline in terms of the climate, just as one variable. Um, I guess, yeah. How how do you see the how do you see the contradiction in terms of like how slow moving you have to be to do things in that good way um, yeah. versus how fast we have to move to actually address the crisis as it exists. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, well, first I would, um, this is a larger conversation, but I'd complicate the, the sort of, um, the sort of uh, um, fixed timeline kind of um, discourse around climate, like the climate urgency and climate desperation piece, which you and I've talked about before, actually. Um, 
because uh, I do think um, everything we do changes our relationship to how things will unfold. Like time is not like the whole like way we the way that the mainstream of the, the carbon fundamentalist climate discourse has talked about timelines presumes nothing that everything is linear and static as opposed to um, every intervention we make changes how we will navigate the future that arrives um, and what which future arrives. Um, but that's a separate thing. So there's a really important principle here, which is, um, and the question you're asking is the question we are all always asking ourselves about what a post-capitalist future or what alternatives to capitalism, how do we scale them uh, at the pace necessary to confront capital? And the problem is our imagination of scale, our, the way we think about scale is to look at something really big and then say, we need to get that big as opposed to understanding that there's other ways to think about scale. And, there, and so there's, there's two different aspects of scale I wanna, I wanna lift up here. One is like an actual scale. Um, and so if you think of scale, not just in, term, not in terms of size, but scale in terms of like relative balance and relative impact, something can be really, really small and really dense like a marble and tip the scales. And something can be really, really large and take up a lot of space in our movements and not actually tip the scales at all, like a balloon, right? And we have a tendency to focus on ballooning things in order to look big, but we, in that process, end up not actually having the kind of um, weight or impact that we need to actually tip the balance. So, and then the question is, how do you, like a marble isn't good enough. And, um, and anybody who's ever played with marbles as a kid, like, you know, you put your marbles in a bag and you carry, carry a bunch of marbles around. And so right now, I think there is a problem in a lot of our, um, our social movements. Like, so the other, the other principle here is like, the other way to get to scale is to aggregate to scale. Instead of trying to build one thing that's really big is to aggregate a bunch of things that are autonomous, self-governed, community-based, but have unifying vision, shared strategy, common frames, and some level of connected tissue that allows us to, to express our scale differently, as opposed to just trying to be a big thing. And in that, that aggregation for me is the idea of not just marbles, but marbles in a bag. Like, so the seed commons isn't going to grow very fast if we can only do one loan at a time or one co-op at a time. But when you have 30 loan funds currently and $25 million and you've, everyone is autonomous and we're constantly putting more capital out there and building more commons of capital and then creating the conditions where we get better at it so more people are coming and we can grow more loan funds. And some, you know, you have this experience of like, you actually both can scale faster, there can be an accelerated um, scaling because it's because it's distributed, um, and and then we federate, and that's how we have the shared capital, shared learning, and shared infrastructure that we need, right? And it's the same thing. Like if you have one organization who says we're going to do solar cooperatives, and then you go and you're like, one at a time they work with the community, and one at a time they put up solar co-ops, that's not going to work. What you need to do is look around and say, oh my God, 
in every community, people are having the very same idea, which is how do we take control of our energy infrastructure and liberate it from investor-owned utilities or private, you know, or or even public utilities that operate like investor-owned utilities, and create community control of our energy infrastructure. And then, and like, and every single one of those projects you look at, and you're like, this is nowhere big enough for the scale of the problem. But it's because we can't, we haven't actually told the story of all of those projects together that we are unable to see the scale. There's a, so there's a narrative dimension to this too, which is like, we haven't done a good job of telling the story of all of it together. And so we're comparing, um, you know, we're comparing Exxon with my local, you know, People Power Solar Co-op in Oakland. Like that's not a, you know, Chevron with People Power Solar Co-op, that's not the comparison. The comparison is all of those communities everywhere who are engaged in all of these interventions around community control of energy. So that that to me is how you scale. And that's not, it's also like, um, and you know, you and I have had this conversation before too, like I do not believe we are gonna co-op our way out of capitalism. That is insufficient. Like, first of all, it's really hard to run a co-op. And we've, you know, we've all been a part of those and, or at least you and I have been a part of those and we know it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy, especially if you want to be, um, if you want to have productive sustainability, right? Like you want your co-op to actually be able to thrive. What we're trying to do and what we really are um, focused on is bridging the gap between organizing and the co-op movement and really um, bringing, um, cooperative enterprise and new economy into grassroots community-based organizing and making those connections um, so that the that you know the economic power we're building in our communities can be leveraged towards various forms of political power direct action um, other kinds of commoning like you want to get your commons of capital to a place where you as a community can say you know what we're going to put it towards this community need that we have because um, because that's that's a need we have and that need isn't going to get met if we do not self-govern. Um, and that's, that's, I think, you know, that gets back to me to the larger question here, which is um, uh, something that we say a lot at Movement Generation, if, if we're not prepared to govern, we're not prepared to win. And I, and I like to point out, it's like, I always ask people like in my classes, I'm like, raise your hand if you think the rent's too damn high and everybody raises their hand. And I'm like, raise your hand if you pay your rent and everybody raises their hand. The problem isn't the traditional notion of like the consent theory of power that we all buy into the legitimacy of the system. That I don't think is the primary problem anymore. Most people, many, many people, certainly a critical mass of people get that this is not meeting their needs. This system is not meeting their needs. And the problem isn't primarily actually coercive power. People are not um, primarily worried about getting kicked out or put in jail or you know, being evicted from their apartment as the primary reason they pay their rent. That isn't actually the case either. Um, the primary reason people pay their rent is they have no other way to get their housing needs met. And until we as a social movement are answering that question, we're never gonna win. The problem is compliance. People are forced to comply. It is not that they consent to the system, and it's not primarily, though for some of our communities more so than others, it's not primarily the coercive power of the state or corporations to force you to do shit. It's primarily compliance. We have no other way to get our needs met. And so 
that I think is like the basis of a real revolution is not some kind of struggle for power. It's actually the exercising of rights. And it's when a people are organized enough to exercise the right to self-govern and to meet their needs that they um, have a legitimate basis for contesting the legitimacy of existing authority. And the only way we're going to do that if we start actually organizing ourselves to meet our needs and demonstrate that we can self-govern better than the, the pretense the pretensive mandate of the state to govern or the claim of corporations that they can do everything better than us, you know? So, so you've touched that was, on, I, I went off the rails there. Sorry. No, it was great. You touched on all the themes um, that I wanted to, to get into. I'm going to try and try and maybe zoom in on some of them one by one. Um, but yeah, before we, before we go into more of the narrative stuff, I I'm, I'm curious just to hear on like at a very concrete level, you know, How's it going with 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 Seed Commons and with the um, the Solar Project? Like, it you know what kinds of businesses are being started? How are they doing? Um, what kinds of yeah. struggles are they facing? Yeah. Um, so um, I'll speak to Seed Commons first um, because it's a, it's a, a a lot more developed and and it's not first of all we didn't um, like an, invent the model right like uh, folks folks who are familiar with the co-op movement be like oh that sounds like Mondragon um, and um, this idea of non-extractive finance um, I think some of the the languaging has come from the working world and the Seed Commons over time and sort of developing ways to talk about it but. Um, but this isn't, um, and all of our communities going back generations, our ancestors have had commons of, you know, commons for resource sharing, like for, for common pool resources and capital should be a common pool resource, um, in the same way that water and land have been. And, um, and what is cap, what is financial capital anyway? It's just a degraded form of clean air, um, fresh water, healthy soil and our time and relationships, you know, um, uh, so it's about the restoration of that. Um, sea Commons, when um, you know the original um, spark of it was the Working World, an organization that um, uh, Brendan Martin and a few folks went down to Argentina to support the recovered factory movement um, in the early 2000s, um, and basically took a little bit of capital that they had or cash that they had from the U.S. and started the, the uh, La Base, which was a revolving loan fund in Argentina specifically for the recovered factory movement, the occupied factory when capital flight happened in Argentina and workers just shut it, you know, locked themselves in and took over the factories. Um, and that was thriving and people said to them, you know, oh, that's just because it was in Argentina that you could do it. So they went to Nicaragua and um, had been doing it there and then um, came back to the United States around 2008 to support um, the uh, new era windows and doors which was the, um, the unionized uh, window and door factory um, that the workers locked themselves in and ran the factory um, instead of getting, um, when the factory was going to get sold or get they were going to get kicked out. Um, and then they bought it and now they own it and run it and it's a worker-owned co-op. Um, we started with just a, you know, a small amount of money. It's now about $25 million, the loan fund in just a few years, five years. Um, there, there, we support a whole range of cooperatives in, um, that, um, from, you know, um, cafes and, um, print shops and, um, restaurants and, uh, green construction and building co-ops, zero waste co-ops, um, you know, uh, childcare co-ops, like, um, there's a, um, uh, 
housing cooperatives, uh, uh, we supported a community in, um, in buying uh, out a trailer park um, home. Um, and so that they now own their own trailers and the trailer park as a community, um, as a, one of the most uh, extractive and exploitive housing um, structures in, in, in the United States. Um, and um, and there's a so there's a lot of co-ops now um, uh, across the country, and some of the loan funds are newer and have only done one or two loans. Some of them, like Baltimore Roundtable for Economic Democracy, and um, and the Working World, have done dozens and dozens of loans. Um, so it adds up to over a hundred loans, I think. Now, to, um, to it should be noted that we have a very very low loan loss, and that's because. The debt subordination literally means that, like, if something doesn't work out for your co-op, it's our responsibility to pivot and help figure out how to make things work. And so we just, you know, we adjust terms as we need to. Um, and that, this is an interesting thing. This is a useful thing to note about design and organizational structure, right? Our purpose is to support worker and community ownership, building a new kind of economy that communities are in control of. And therefore, it is structured such that the loan funds only succeed if the projects succeed, succeed. And because of that structure, then we are in a different kind of relationship, right? So we provide technical support. We look for other resources. We find ways to support. Uh, Rich City Rides um, Bike and Skate Cooperative, which is a, a, a Black-owned bike and skate uh, worker-owned co-op in Richmond, California. I'm part of Cooperation Richmond. When it was time for them to... Um, to um, do, they got a loan to do a redesign of the shop. We realized that it was cheaper for us to put the floors in, the new floors in ourselves. And since some of us had experience doing that, we literally like, that was our responsibility as a loan fund. We helped put in the floors. So it's a different kind of relationship, right? Um, so it's, it's actually very successful and growing very fast. And, um, and we're trying to deploy the capital as quickly um, as we can. And that is not to say that there are not contradictions. Like there, you know, tr transition is in part the process of navigating contradictions. That that's not like we get to. If you think um, half past capitalism, half, you know, it's like half past capitalism is kind of like is the glass full or the glass half empty <laughs> um, uh, kind of thing. Like you have to recognize that we're trying to navigate the contradictions uh, of that, and that's not you know contradictions are inevitable. It's hypocrisy that's intolerable, right? So. The question for us is how do we navigate the contradictions? And for me, I think that's like you need a finely tuned moral compass and a community of practice. Like um, that's that's what it takes. So some of the contradictions that we are, you know, we have to struggle with is um, is you know we are still dependent on the inward flow of capital in order to support the co-ops. Right? We're not yet gener, you know, the the productive capacity of the movement isn't enough to be self-sustaining um, and we hope to and plan to get there but we're still dependent on like sympathetic um, folks who have access to capital so that's often foundations or wealth wealthy lefties who inherited money or things like that to invest into the co-op and um, invest into the seed commons the the, the cooperative the, the financial cooperative um, so that we can then deploy it. But they don't have any control over the projects. They don't have any equity shares or anything like that. Um, so um, that allows us to be autonomous and support and for the co-ops to be in control of their own self-governance. Um, but that's one of the things, you know, that we have to 
that we that we work on. There's a cultural uh, challenge, which is the moment you start talking about lending and capital, we're all deeply have internalized um, the dominant expectations of what that looks like and power over and presuming that the person who is the lender has power over you. And so even though we're lenders um, in that sense, our due diligence isn't about deciding whether you will or won't get a loan. It's about ensuring that your project is going to be as successful as it can be um, because that's what you need. That's what we're here for. And that's also what sustains the loan funds. Um, and so our due diligence process can be a lot more intense than just going to a bank to get a loan because the bank's due diligence is, do you have enough shit that we can take um, if you um, fail to make your loan? But we don't care whether your business is going to succeed or fail as long as we can take your shit. And, um, you know, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. So our thing is like, no, let's let's work together to make sure this is going to work for you. And then because there's no point in straddling a community with debt it can't handle. Um, that's just that's just wrong. So, you know, but people then, you know, there's always the cultural dynamic of like, oh, things aren't going perfectly for us this month. You know, you got to really cultivate the relationship that people feel like they can say that. And they can say, yeah, things are things haven't really worked out. It's like, great, let's that's okay. Life is complicated, and we're gonna figure it out together because that's because we're not just trying to, you know, it's not just about building the commons of capital. It's about demonstrating that we can self-govern at scale things as important and necessary as capital, as land, as housing, as food, as water, and that's what the food sovereignty movement is. That's what the energy democracy movement is. That's what the transformative justice movement is. These are movements that are about the practice of self-governance of some of the hardest things for us to wrap our, um, our minds and communities and culture around energy, harm and hurting, feeding people. You know, these are the things that um, we need to demonstrate that we can do. And people are doing it everywhere all the time. Maybe we're more than half past capitalism and we just don't realize it. Oh, uh, I'm looking forward to changing the show to 99% past capitalism. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just want to focus in on one little aspect, which is every time I hear the word federation, I'm, I'm like immediately intrigued because, you know, that implies that somebody has figured out how to break down what it makes sense to centralize, what it makes sense to decentralize, and then how to balance whatever power dynamics result from those choices. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how, sure, like sure, yeah. how did that evolve? What mm -hmm. precedents were you basing things on? And, and where, did, how did, where did you end up? Yeah, um, that's, a, um, that's a, a, great, a great question. Um, so, you know, the way I'm, I just want to be clear, the way I'm using the term federated is from, um, you know, sort of subsidiary standpoint. So um, all of the lending, all of it happens at, from, at the local level. So it's like local revolving loan funds are autonomous. Um, you get there, the, the way we think of the seed commons itself is shared learning, shared, um, uh, shared learning, shared services and shared capital. Um, and that's, that's what's happening at the, at the, um, at the federated scale. We have a sustainability sustainability committee that um, reviews and supports the local loan funds and moving loans through and approves the loans on behalf of the whole of the seed commons made up of members of the seed commons. 
who have been active in successfully deploying loans in their local loan funds. And that can, that can grow and rotate, and that's, that's a really robust mechanism. All the members are part of the governance body, so then we have our governance meetings. And it evolved out of the working world. So the working world, there was a time when the working world and the seed commons was one thing because it was the first loan fund, the largest loan fund, um, and had developed the model. And, um, and the folks at the, at the working world said, you know, we can't just like try and be everywhere at once. The smart thing to do here is to propagate, you know, propagate the model, allow dissent with modification, like allow people to customize it and to learn and grow and build. The, and then together we build the infrastructure we need. And then what's happened is the seed, the working world is now just a member of the seed comments. And it's just one of many loan funds and other loan funds have grown uh, such that it's not, you know, and we're still very appreciative and dependent on the like the history, the legacy, the uh, knowledge of the working world, and of many other co-ops and um, loan funds who've been very successful. Um, uh, and they provide coaching for new loan funds. We, we you know we coach each other. We often collaborate. Two loan funds might collaborate on a loan if there's an overlapping relationship, um, and then. Everyone has access to this shared pool of capital out of the seed commons. Um, we even do shared fundraising. Like we raise money together and then democratically govern its redistribution to the loan funds. Through, and, um, and, you know, the key principles are the same principles of any cooperative, you know, trans, trans, radical transparency with each other, um, uh, uh, democratic decision-making processes, um, you know, all, all of that. You know, the thing you say with any co-op, like work loan co-op is like, not everybody has to do the books, but everybody knows has to know how to read the books. So it's, you know, yeah. it's a similar kind of thing. There can be division of labor. Um, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be everybody does everything, and but so it does have to I'm, be that everybody knows how it works. This is where I'm super curious because I feel like, you know, if you have a bunch of autonomous things, then autonomous, I don't know, regions or mm -hmm. collectives or whatever, like naturally some of them are just going to, through happenstance have access to more resources and that as a result get more power um in relation to the others and more influence and more experience and you know knowledge and capital and all these different things and then that's going to create lopsided centralizing tendencies within the federation overall um so i'm just curious like wh what does it look like like let's say you get a million dollars coming into seed commons and then you're then you have to vote on how to distribute that like like are there shared yeah. criteria that you yeah. base it on yeah like, we like, like how, each, how does it work? each time we develop shared criteria people put in put in their proposals we try and make sure everybody gets something we do some evaluation there's a committee that's vo a volunteer committee that people can sign up for to be helping do that criteria stuff every single meeting is it, it um that you know it's all done remotely via um you know via um uh, record, you know, video conferencing platforms, um, and we record every single meeting that anybody can have access to, um, and um, and really the reality is like when we have a situation where we've got a bunch of money and um, we're inviting local loan funds to um, to say what their needs are to be able to access it, it's like what you discover in lots of other things like people's assumptions about how people will behave um, is. Um, uh, you know, be self-interested is not actually true, right? Like when you are part of a community of trust and caring and collaboration, your 
you know, and we've, we've done this and many other local loan funds have done this where there's like, we're not going to put in for money this round because we're doing pretty good. Or we'll adjust, we'll look at the different things and we'll say, okay, we think this group could use more. This is, this is our explanation. We invite people to give feedback. Like it's just a process of like, you know, it's all based on trusting relationships. It is now it is true that some loan, like there is a, like the longer you've been doing it or the more capacity you have, or maybe urban loan funds might be more successful than other loan funds or some communities are um, developing cooperatives are harder, or we might have less capacity or skills, or we're learning as we're going. All of those things are there, but because it, it because it's a shared pool of capital that everybody has access to, it's not the case that, you know, like, um, it, I mean, as you are um, developing that locally, then you have more and more of, of a sort of um, a dedicated pool for your community. But that doesn't take away from all of the majorities going back into the common pool. And we're all just looking to access the common pool. We're not necessarily like everybody's not trying to like build their loan fund to be the biggest. They're trying to build their loan fund to meet the needs in their community. Um, and I think and I think that's worked. I, I, I don't. Um, I don't think there's a, you know, of course, there's lots of all different kinds of classic movement struggles that we've had over time around, like, um, you know, like trusting relationships between uh, folks of color and, and, and white folks who maybe have more expertise because they started it or they, or because they were, came out of finance or whatever, not that. There aren't, there's a whole lot of folks of color in finance too, who are like, you know, especially out of Occupy, folks who, who were in their 20s and 30s on Wall Street um, during Occupy, who looked up and were like, what the fuck am I doing? And are looking for other ways of being in the world, you know? And, um, and those folks have, con you know, contributed to this, this movement as well. And again, the capital is the instrument. Um, it is, it is um, in service of building our relationships and our community infrastructure. It's not the it's not the end in itself. It's not a, the more capital we accumulate in our loan funds, the more um, we get to control other people. That's not the point. The point yeah. is a restoration of capital I mean, to communities. It sounds to me like like this model continuing to work as it scales is really. I would hypothesize mm -hmm. anyway yeah. that, that a lot of it's based on or that, that the success would be based on continuing to grow that sort of relationship. I don't know, intensity and density between yeah. the different people, the actual human beings in, in that network. And so I'm, yeah. I'm curious, you and know, does that, does that pose sort of a challenge in terms I, I of think, facilitation or like, yeah, how, do you, I, keep, I how do you keep those relationships <laughs> cross pollinating? Yeah, I wish, I mean, I wish we were um, at a scale now where we were like saying, oh, maybe we need to be multiple financial cooperatives. Like that would be, that would be a problem I want to have, you know, it's like, um, you know, $25 million sounds like a lot of money to most people on the, in the co-op movement at <laughs> $25 million does not begin to touch the scale of the, the, that we need to be at. Right. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's amazingly good work. And I do not believe, you know, change is not incremental and linear. Like there are, there are opportunities for tipping points. There's, um, there's what kind of infrastructure we build will be more resilient in the face of different kinds of crises, right? Like the financial institutions that did, that weathered the, um, 
the um, the financial collapse in in twenty in two thousand eight nine ten, um, they were the credit they were the credit unions because credit unions weren't allowed to get involved in the um, in the uh, extractive derivatives markets, um, and so credit unions actually um, fared very well or did didn't experience the kind of suffering that. Um, uh, that w was visited upon the big banks and that they so rightly deserved um, and shouldn't have been bailed out for anyway um, so I do think I do think there are um, big questions of um, of how we how we change over time how growth happens do we need to have some more maybe we get to a scale where we're going to regionalize um, and there's still like you know, I look to models like the MST in Brazil and other large, um, you know, subsidiary forms of self-governance. You know, you've got, um, you know, two and a half million people living in over 20,000 autonomous settlements um, throughout uh, Brazil who manage to govern collectively, starting with the level of the family and the nucleo of 10 families, all the way up to every few years, they have a congresso that's representative of all of this, uh, all the settlements, all the encampments, and they, and it's all starts from the bottom up. And, it, and, you know, yes, it's hard, but hard and bad are not the same thing. And there are challenges and, and struggles. Um, but that's, that's, the nature of governance, you know, that's what it means to try and steer an economy at any meaningful scale. Um, so I think I think those are th those are big questions. Like, and I, we are not one of the things that I think is really valuable about the seed comms. This is also true for People's Solar Energy Fund, which I haven't spoken about nearly as much, um, but um, I do think is e an equally important kind of intervention. It's it's a related intervention. We're all part of the same community, but it's like the scale of solar community solar projects is like you know, these are millions of dollar projects. So they're very, you know, it's a lot to finance and you're grappling with interconnectivity with utilities and state policies are different every single place. Um, but uh, one of the things that um, I think has been really good about the Seed Commons and PCEF is that the assumption isn't that this one thing will forever keep getting bigger. It's instead like, we're constantly reflecting on, like, how do we govern well given where we are? What changes do we need to make? Maybe we need two sustainability committees. We're we're going through loans faster than we can manage. Maybe we need to say conversions get their own sustainability committee, and um, and new co-ops get their own sustainability committee, and we do and we get more people involved in those processes because we're just growing faster than the small group of people who are trying to review loans can handle. And we're all basically volunteers. We have a few staff, obviously we pay um, folks and some of the loan and the loan funds actually um, also are, you know, they, they, all the loan funds are nonprofits and we're all, um, you know, trying to staff in ways that are not um, exploiting of people in the community who are trying to do this work. Right. So, but, but I mean, even, even with the, the level of, the size you have now, like, I mean, it seems mm -hmm. like it would be a challenge to keep people relating to each other and as, you know, as non-abstract you know, entities, <laughs> you well, know, pe uh, people across, have very, across geographic barriers yeah, well, and so on. But people have very concrete needs, right? Like, like, uh, people, you know, people are constantly like, 
Anybody have documents on how to do this? Anybody ever negotiated a lease with a landlord for um, for a co-op? Anybody? Can somebody look at? You know, it's like, and in that, sh so remember, the 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 order in which I said it: shared learning, shared services, shared capital. The capital is the le people think that the barrier to their dreams is access to capital. That is not the, that is that is a barrier to your dreams, but it's not the primary barrier to your dreams. No amount of money is gonna is gonna instantly suddenly make you understand how to democratically self-govern with eight or ten or twenty or fifty other people. So often we think the barrier to us our our dream is the access to capital, and it turns out there's a whole bunch of other things in the way first. Like how do we democratically self-govern? Is this actually sustainable? Is our you know productively sustainable? Meaning, are, do will we actually break even? Because you can have the most radical visionary idea for a co-op and if you can't break even if you can't navigate that particular contradiction you know you're not serving anyone because you will fail yeah right so th there there's a the shared learning is a really big part of the relationship building and the just the radical openness to just sharing curriculum sharing tools coaching each other that has been a really um i think a really important part of it and we have you know regular meetings and getting together and different different people and different um loan funds will have different kinds of capacity at different times and that's also okay yeah you know um it is okay for us to to recognize that um that we all contribute at different levels and different times and the same with people solar energy fund like there's a mem the member meetings are opportunities for people to talk about have actually the conversation about like how are you navigating insurance questions right but right. we have a people solar energy cooperative is this like shared infrastructure that can negotiate the financing for all of these communities together and create this kind of um, access to capital that's needed to do these big projects. So I want to zoom, zoom out a bit um, before we run out of time uh, to talk a little bit about, yeah, I guess on the one hand, how, like you're involved in things like direct action training, um, you know, movement building, campaigning work, uh, sort of, you know, big picture meta narrative work on technologies, ecology, sustainable practices of agriculture and, um, you know, permaculture. Like, I mean, there's all these different things. Can, can you paint a picture of how your work in seed commons or i guess the co-op movement in general fits into all that like how how does all that yeah. weave together um so um so, so it, through, i'm one of the co-founders of an organization called movement generation justice and ecology project and we're we're a collective so we're a we're a democratically self-governed uh organization um that has a nonprofit that's a nonprofit, but for us, the nonprofit is like just an instrument of the work. Um, again, the nonprofit doesn't hold our identity. The political project holds our identity and the nonprofit is the tool we use to get the work done. Um, but within that, everybody gets, it's a flat democratic organization. And we developed um, uh, a way, a, 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 um, a kind of, along with a whole bunch of other folks in the climate justice movement, um, this idea of, the, of uh, what we call the just transition framework. And folks can go to Movement Generation and download this little booklet called From Banks and Tanks to Cooperation and Caring. And for us, the failure of the climate movement is um, the obsession with atmospheric concentrations of CO2. If you really want to understand the climate crisis, it's insufficient to look up at the atmosphere and count carbon. 
that's just the emergent consequence of a whole nother problem, which is the erosion of living systems and the exploitation of labor, the labor of the living world everywhere at once, all the time. And um, so long as that is happening, you'll have this other problem. Um, and so for us, this notion of um, the restoration of, of right relationship to land, labor, and living systems is the solution to the climate crisis. And so it's like, um, you know, there's, there's a, 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 an expression by the coup, uh, the band, the coup, Boots Riley, you know, one of their albums, I think is called Pick a Bigger Weapon. Um, and, uh, and it's like, yeah, you know what that is? It's economy. It's economy. We need to build, we need to live into the economy we know we need and crash it into capitalism. That's what we need to do. We need to provoke a crisis of jurisdiction over who is entitled to govern our communities and who defines our economies. Because so long as we're just fighting against what we don't like, we will be stuck, we will be easily assimilated. That fight will be easily assimilated and, um, and navigated uh, in the existing structures of, of um, global capital, uh, capitalism and extractivism. Um, it's when we are actually um, provoking a crisis that's about meeting people's needs and democratically self-governing. So for me, all of it fits together under that. And we think of it around, you know, I mentioned like the basis of revolution is, is not, you know, just the struggle for power. It's not getting enough people together that you can fight against the existing power. It's actually all revolutions are rooted in the, in the, in rights. It's when a people can uh, assert rights that they can test the legitimacy of existing authority. And the only way to assert a right is to exercise it. If you believe housing is a human right, then you have to exercise that right. And any economic activity, which is an infringement upon that right, is a form of violence because rights are not given and rights are not taken away. Rights are exercised and they are only ever violated and that's the origin of violence. And so we have to actually say, if we believe that healthcare is a human right, then all economic activity should be subordinate to that right. And anything that isn't is illegitimate, right? So that's how we should be thinking about it. And the way we organize economy is an expression of our responsibility to assure those rights. So with rights come responsibility. And what is economy? Economy is the stewardship or care or management of home within the boundaries of the rights that we have established to so that it is the expression of that responsibility collectively. That is all it should ever be. And so, um, and then, then the question is, what are the rights upon which we want to mount a revolution? And given the moment that we're in on the clock of the world, as Grace Lee Boggs said, we would argue it's two things. It's rights of Mother Earth and the, the right of living systems to function with integrity and dignity and to be free of, of coercion and, and, and wanton destruction. And the related responsibility that comes with that is what we call new economic rights. And that's the right of peoples to the resources required to create productive, dignified, and ecologically sustainable livelihoods. Those are collective rights. Both of those rights of Mother Earth and these new economic rights are collective rights. They're not individual rights. And if you believe that, so this isn't the right to healthcare, the right to housing, or the right to a minimum wage. It's the right to the resources required to meet those needs. And then you ask yourself, what are those resources? It's land, it's clean air, it's fresh water, it's control over our time. 
And guess what? In this moment of navigating the contradictions of the world we're in to the world where we want to be in or we're trying to live into, one of those resources is capital, is financial capital. So creating a commons of capital is part of creating a commons of housing. It's part of creating a commons of, of land. It's part of recognizing that, you know, that larger thing. And as I said at the beginning, commons are fundamentally based in consent and cooperation. So free prior and informed consent and consent is a foundation of everything we do from our interpersonal relationships to our, to how we organize our work, right? That's a key principle of commoning. And, and enclosures are entirely based on entitlement. Whether it was the original title that was given to you by the king or the title that's given to you on a piece of paper. And the enclosure, the ability to control who has access to a necessary and needed resource and on what terms, and in this world, who it ends up being that resource that's enclosed, you know, those, that, that's, what we, that's what we're trying to disrupt. And, and, and enclosure is what got us here. And so we need, we need, you know, it's not just enough to be against the enclosure. We need to actually be creating the commons or restoring the commons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. The, the, the that can, the, the way you conceptualize that and um, it's very, it's very powerful and, and coherent sort of, you know, story and obviously clearly developed over, you know, oh yeah, in, 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 by lots through, of people. <laughs> through, yeah, by lots of people through a lot of dialogue over a lot of time, um, yeah. which is I think what really gives it that heft. Um, I guess bringing it back to the narrative piece, uh, you know, you can't you can't just go into your classroom where people are raising their hands about rent and be like, "Here it is," you know, like yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. So, so I'm so I'm curious, how, like you've got the you've got the you've got the sort of the narrative that gives you that sort of philosophical, political, uh, common direction and backing at the core. But how do you, mm -hmm. how does that, how does that change or does it change when you go out to talk to the person on the street who you're canvassing? Yeah. Um, like how does narrative play out in that context when you're, when you're trying to get them into that story and then how do yeah. you move them through that toward closer to that sort of hot yeah. core of, of you know the, the hot dense core of of, of your, of <laughs> your, of your narrative yeah um i do think some there's some uh so for one thing i think uh, a lot of it is you know it, it always just starts with like you got to start with people who are at like what are the living conditions that people are dealing with and and engaging with them there and actually you know quite honestly i think things like like you know and i'm giving talks to like you know undergraduate students and just saying like like literally the question uh, you know, how many people think the rent is, how many people believe rent is a, is a human right? Everybody raises their hand. I mean, uh, housing, housing is a human right, right? Like, like, well, it's not hard to get people to be like, okay, well, what does that, or actually an example I use a lot is like, imagine how many people believe healthcare is a human right. And I, I'm very rarely in the space where people do not raise their hand. Um, uh, of course, I'm not usually at like, you know, the Heartland Institute meetings, you know, so there is a question there. Um, but I think that's a different kind of organizing. That's like really, that requires people from, from those communities. Um, but um, when, you, when you ask people to describe what they imagine healthcare as a human right is like, like I, when you say it's like, okay, describe what that experience is like. If healthcare, if, if we had universal healthcare in the United States, 
what would your experience of healthcare be? And people immediately go to, well, you could go to the hospital and you wouldn't have to pay anything and you could see a doctor. And usually they say, you know, farm, your, your medications would be free. Um, you wouldn't avoid going to the hospital because you couldn't afford it. People usually say those things. Occasionally somebody will say there's more preventative health care. Sometimes people will bring that up. Um, but overall, people generally conceptualize healthcare as looking like healthcare looks like now, just free. Well, it's like, and then you get this, this interesting question. Well, like, that's interesting because that healthcare system cannot be universal. It's entirely based on the extraction of wealth and resources and labor from people all over the planet and in this very community, right? The current healthcare system is a net transfer of life expectancy from poor people in the global south to rich people in the global north. In fact, it's a transfer of life expectancy to the, the African-American man three blocks away to the white man in the neighboring, you know, in the neighboring suburb, right? Like that, that, that this healthcare, you have to reconceptualize healthcare if you want it to be universal. Because the only qualification for accessing universal health care is what? Being part of the universe. Um, so, you know, I think there are ways in which we can tell stories and draw out. And, and, and because it's not that people don't have these values. It's that people can't imagine another way, right? Like one of the things that's enclosed is our capacity is like imagination, you know? It's like it's um, we don't have access to free imagination because of we, we don't have other ways of seeing our needs get met. So I do think there's that aspect and there's, and there's the starting where people are at. And then there's just the, um, just my invitation to folks listening to half past capitalism. If you're one of those people who said, you know, who says I'm an anti-capitalist, um, I want you to see how well you can actually describe the contours of capitalism. Cause I think we have a tendency to say we're anti-capitalists when we're, and to say we're against, you know, the system. But I think our ability to actually both describe the contours of capital, capitalism and describe the contours of the kinds of economies we imagine, I think really matters. And for me, being anti-capitalist is necessary but insufficient because um, I'm an anti-borderist. You know, like borderism is wrong. And the nation state is not an object that, that we can you know, the, one of the failures of our socialist imagination is we think the, of the nation state as an object. And if we just could control of that object, we can make it something else. But a nation, nation state is nation statism. It's the relationship of nation states. And there's, you know, it depends on this extractivist mode. Um, so there's a whole bunch of other aspects of this that we've got for, to dig into. For sure. I mean, I just wanted to, to just con conceptually get, get into that a little more, um, you know, I mean, it's interesting because I, you know, I think I think usually the way the sort of theory of change is conceptualized is that you start with, you know, rent or housing or whatever's directly affecting people or healthcare, and then you say, okay, well, let's get involved in Medicare for all, and then let's get involved in this like political campaign that has this like Medicare for all, but like a bunch of other things, and then you sort of gradually learn about those other things, and then the sort of last thing that people learn about <laughs> in that is, you know foreign policy and like what you're talking about, like the net transfer of, of life mm -hmm. expectancy. And, and, and then, and then, and then the, the even further thing that people do if they get that far, which is, you know, that you're talking about a tiny, tiny number of people who get that far, 
on on that on that that conceptual ladder anyway is that they you know we start to talk about how to reconceptualize things so that it's not a zero-sum transfer of you know of mm -hmm. life expectancy but but that's so far down the line but but I, it sounds like what you're saying is like let's bring that right up to the front of the line in terms of like I, I let's have there's... a holistic approach from like even after they just start talking about um even if the, even after they just start talking about you know the rent or whatever yeah um like let's um, let's, yeah, let's so, talk holistically. So, I mean, is, is that your experience? Can, and can I, that, I think, how does that work? Yeah. Can, can that work? Is my well, question. there's, there's two things here. One is I would say, so I think the the arc that you said of like traditional organizing makes the mistake of, um, immediately de defaulting to the assumption that the only way that the need that needs to get met can get met is if we, if we, um, if, if our only strategy is through the existing structures of governance. So, let me just be clear. I'm not saying that there is not a role for that work and, mm -hmm. uh, and that that's not important. I absolutely believe it's important. But I also think what's really important is that we are organizing in our communities to say, how are we going to meet our needs? Like direct action, like when, when, when people talk about direct action or civil disobedience, you know, we tend to think of like somebody jumping off a building with a banner or, or somebody blockading something or like the, the kind of environmental direct action or even the civil rights era direct actions, you know. But, but real direct action is people directly applying their labor to meet their needs regardless of the consequences. Like direct action is like people need food in our community, so we are going to plant trees in public space, fruit-bearing varieties in public space. We are going to occupy this land that is slated for development and turn it into a farm like we did with Occupy the Farm. Like these are um, the the assumption that there are not opportunities for us to get organized in finding strategies to meet our needs in our community and then getting together and aggregating with other communities to grow that and expand that. Like we're not going to grapple with universal health care, for example, community by community, but there are interventions we can make that help us stay organized and connected in our community that allows us to then have even more legitimacy as we engage in larger organizing efforts. So it's, that's, I think the missing ingredient here is like, like we have a housing crisis. One way to, one strategy, and we need to have the strategy is to fight at the local level and at the state level to have a moratorium on evictions, to have rent control, to have just cause, like these policies are really important. And at the same time, we need to be organizing um, commons of housing. We need to be creating community-controlled land trusts. We need to be doing rematriation work and supporting indigenous communities of getting land back, especially in urban areas in the, in, uh, in, uh, on Turtle Island, the, the, the tribes who are federally unrecognized and do not have a land base because they are on high market value. Their territories are now high market value places like the Bay Area. Like supporting that is a strategy that helps us build a different kind of power and a different kind of relationship to power, right? Because it is not in like, this is, um, you know, it's like uh, the, the, the principle that we, that, um, that we use is like this idea of what you feed grows or what the hands do, the heart learns. And if all we do is feed our fight against the existing system, that's what will grow. And we will, and we, and if all we do is labor against what we don't want, we'll learn, we'll learn to love the fight and we'll have nothing left for our vision, but longing. 
and longing isn't good enough. You have to actually work towards the world you, you have to live into the world you want. And um, not like, and it's not like these are alternatives that show people what a possible future could be once we had state power. They are the strategy to get there. It is the practice of self-governance because that's the hardest thing. I think the left is scared to govern. I think we're scared to actually have to make the hard decisions and we don't have any practice, right? What is transformative justice? It is the practice of addressing harm and hurting outside of policing and prisons. That is a system of self-governance we need. And, um, and I think there's, there's just, that's what food sovereignty is, right? And, and the growth of the energy democracy movement in the, in the, in the U.S., the community-owned cooperative uh, energy movement, is because of decades of work fighting investor-owned utilities, getting community choice aggregation, building the capacity of social movement actors, folks, people in community, learning how to actually self-govern energy systems and to be able to say, you know what, we don't need an investor-owned utility. We actually, we are capable of self-governing energy. Stop bailing out PG&E. That's Pacific Gas and Electric here in, 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 the, in California. So I think the premise that, you know, again, it's the scale thing. The premise is like, oh, we have to build enough power to battle at the scale at which they operate. It's like, you know, maybe the scale is, you know, I always say the scale of the problem does not dictate the scale of the solutions. The scale of the solutions obviously have to add up to and address the scale of the problem, but the scale of the problem doesn't determine what the scale of the solutions will be. And in fact, scale is part of the problem. <laughs> like the biggering and biggering and biggering of everything, to quote Dr. Seuss, you know, is, um, is the problem. And we see this in the climate movement. It's like, oh, if we only ever talk about the climate crisis as atmospheric concentrations of CO2, all we are doing is giving permission for those assholes you know who want to do geoengineering to legitimate their claim that the only way we're going to deal with this problem is to you know create a hundred year long volcanic eruption that covers the entire earth to block the sun really that's that's the best you can come up with how about returning land land to the sovereign you know to indigenous people so that they can actually teach us how to be in right relationship with the living systems upon which we depend how about ending you know, the fossil fuel industry and making a just transition to a clean energy democracy? Anyway, now I'm just being mean. <laughs> no, that's an excellent, <laughs> I think that's an excellent place to wrap it up. Um, uh, I guess before, before we uh, sign off, what, um, where should people find you or, or the, the kinds of things you're talking about? Yeah. Um, well, Seed Commons is seedcommons.org. Um, and I would encourage folks to check that out. People Solar Energy Fund is PSEF. I think it's PSEF.org. Um, but you can also just search for People Solar Energy Fund. Um, Movement Generation is movementgeneration.org. And I encourage everyone to go and check out some of the stuff that's happening there. I'm no longer part of the staff collective, but I'm still very much a part of the community. You mentioned ETC Group. Um, there's a bunch, you know, and really, it's like, yeah, I'm easy to find. You can connect with me. Um, but that, like, really connect with the people in your community, in your neighborhood. Like, what are the needs that aren't getting met? And what, what can we do to meet them? Not what demands can we make to get somebody else to meet them? If we start to meet those needs, 
we are forcing them to address the question of why they are not. And yes, we need to put pressure on existing structures of governance, but we also need to take them over and make them much more deeply, deeply democratic where people are in control of the decisions that affect their daily lives. That's how it used to be. It used to be that governance was integrated into every aspect of our lives. And now we live in a system in which, you know, that we inherited from Greco-Roman slavery, where some small number of people, because of the extracted wealth of others, get to govern as a form of recreation. You know, that's not democracy. Um, so anyway, I would encourage folks to connect with the folks around them and, 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 and start there. But, um, but I'm happy to also connect with folks. Great. Well, thanks again, Gopal. Thank you, Drew. It's great to talk to you.